Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, uh, Florida has another game this weekend after getting through the season opener against Florida Atlantic. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But first, I wanted to get to something that uh, I think is on the line on the mind of a lot of Florida fans that really stay in tune with the program, particularly our subscribers on Swamp 24-7. That's recruiting. Uh, as I understand it, Florida's coaches will have a chance to kind of hit the road do a little bit of recruiting this week. Can you can you walk us through that process and where we're at in the recruiting calendar? Yeah, this Friday, the coaching staff is planning to hit some high school football games. Um, that's leading up to the USF game. Uh, it's actually starting September 1st, um, which was the first day that college coaches could uh, interact with members of the 2023 class. It was also the first day of what they call the evaluation period in recruiting. There's different periods. There's the dead period, which means no visits on campus, mm-hmm. um, you know, just no visits. You can obviously have contact with kids depending on what class they're in and how those rules go. <clears throat> then there's the evaluation period, which is basically coming by the school, um, you know, meeting with a high school head coach, coming by a high school football game, is which, which would be what Florida will be doing on Friday night. Um, I'll have a couple of those stops tomorrow on Swamp 24-7 to break those down where the coaches are at. Um, and then there's obviously the contact period, which is uh, it, it, it starts – um, late November. I think it's the 28th of November, somewhere around there in late November, which the contact period is basically when in-home visits start, you know, coaches can have interaction with those players. I mean, whether they're meeting them at the school with their parents there, or if they're going in home to do those in-home visits to, you know, leading up to signing day, but the, the evaluation period, which is when we're in now started September 1st, like I said, and stretches into late November. So that's where you have the, you know, no contact with recruits. You can kind of just pretty much wave high by type of thing. There's just really no in-depth, com- uh, you know, contact with those recruits. Um, this past Friday, uh, Florida wide receiver coach Billy Gonzalez was actually at GHS against Bishop Moore, um, a local game leading up to Florida's game against FAU. That was where he was able to see CJ Moore, Chandler Moore, or excuse me, not CJ Moore, um, Chandler Smith, CJ Smith, Florida's wide receiver commit um, for that for that 2022 class. Really speedy guy was able to see him in person. So that was the first hit there. And then obviously Florida will be very busy with that this weekend. Excuse how me, much, this Friday. How much are they doing kind of evaluating prospects versus kind of just checking in on guys? Because a, a lot of times, you know, with the <laughs> particularly with the 2022 class, you've kind of already done your evals and it's more about getting FaceTime with these guys. Uh, I think it's more important when it comes to the 2023 guys, you get two visits, you know, through the entire evaluation period. So you kind of want to spread them out. You know, obviously a bye week is really whenever the coaches start to really hit it from, you know, a Monday to a Friday type of thing. Whereas in the season, you kind of spread things out, you know, sure you may go during the week. There's really no set schedule, but ideally you want to try to fit in those Friday game visits. Um, I agree. I think it's more of an important as far as evaluating for those 2023 guys. 
in the spring. Um, that's another big time where they do the evaluations. Um, this past year, obviously, with the dead period and COVID going on, there was no spring evaluation period. So next year, I think that'll be big. But it's a chance to see these guys live. I think a lot of it, too, is in the summer. Florida got a lot of guys on campus to do their June camps, whether it was Friday Night Lights or even the, in July, Friday Night Lights, seven-on-seven seven camps, different kind of camps they had, or even if you were a 2022 guy that came and worked out for the staff for a private workout. So I think it's more showing your face, showing, you know, you're a priority, you know, that we're going to be after you. Um, sure, you know, getting an in-person evaluation is always good because those are, you know, a highlight film is your best place. You know, what do you right. do on your worst plays? How do you bounce back from things? Um, you really get your own eye test type of thing. So I think they're more important as far as evaluating for the 2023 class. They have pretty much an idea of what they're getting out of the 2022 guys. Most of them, you know, they've already offered, they've already scouted, they've already even worked out more than, more than likely for a, for a June camp or a, or a July camp. So um, it's good to get an eye on these 2023 guys and even some of the 2022 guys that maybe you haven't offered or, you know, you, you didn't get him on campus for June. You can kind of see what he does. And that could be where, you know, if, if guy A starts to trend away or goes to another school, at least you have an idea of what, you know, guy B could be if that's a guy you need to make a move on. So um, I'm excited. It's been a long time for a lot, you know, for these guys to get back on the road. That's usually where it's, you know, in a normal year for me, you know, last year it was really a stretch with nothing going on. So um I'm excited. You know, I'm excited for these guys to get out there and see some some players. And I know it's exciting for the high school players too to have a coach on the sidelines. Yeah, I think it's the start of what should be, at least in the next week or two, uh, an uptick in recruiting. I would think. You know, you talk about the Alabama game. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that on next week's episode of the podcast. Visitor list is already on the site. It's it's already starting off really well. There you go. So if you're interested in all those recruits that are going to be visiting for the Bama game, uh, you know, guys that the coaches are going to see this weekend, that kind of thing, Blake will keep you up to date with that. Blake, I'm sure we'll talk more in depth about, you know, those Alabama visitors next week. Uh, but let's let's shift over to talking a little bit about football. Um, I think on the first half of the show, what I want to kind of cover is, you know, we the way we're doing our podcast is Monday morning's episode is going to be more about uh, you and I haven't had a chance to go rewatch the game and providing our opinions on that. And obviously we're not experts, but, you know, having rewatched the game, there were a couple things I took away that I thought we talked about in Monday's episode. So Thursday, what I want to kind of do, depending on what week it is, and obviously some weeks will be different, like Bama next week, we'll talk a lot about recruiting. Um, on these Thursday episodes, what I'd like to do is more or less kind of provide you a recap if there's anything interesting of what Dan Mullen said in his press conference, what Todd Grantham said, what players are saying, um, you know, and then, you know, kind of get to covering a little bit of the opponent, you know, breaking down the matchups, that kind of thing. I'll be perfectly honest with you, Blake, this week's matchup, not a whole lot to break down. I mean, when you're talking about a team that uh, lost 45-0 to NC State in its season opener and really shouldn't be as much of a test as Florida Atlantic was last week, not a whole lot to break down. Blake, I did thought there were, you know, I thought there were some interesting things to take away from Florida's media availability early this week. And a lot of times there's not. Um, we got to talk about quarterback, right? I mean, we talked about it Sunday afternoon on the podcast. We talked about it Monday morning on the podcast. Obviously, a disappointing first start for Emory Jones. I, I think two things kind of stand out to me with the way Florida approached the quarterback battle. I, I say battle. It's not really a battle at this point, um, publicly at least. Uh, but but one was Dan Mullen was very firmly in Emory Jones's corner, uh, reiterated several times that Emory Jones is their starter, was very, very clear that, you know, some of the mistakes Emory Jones made were simple things. They think they can get cleaned up. The fact that Dan Mullen saw 
Emery coming off the sidelines and could always break down exactly what went wrong, I think is a big feather in Emery Jones's cap. But Blake, I'll be honest with you. I did think the tone a little bit from Dan Mullen was different on Monday than it was maybe on Saturday after the game, where I think a lot of fans saw him kind of respond to that question from Cole Kublik on the SEC network with like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Who's our starter? Uh, This week, I think Dan Mullen, especially on Monday and then again on Wednesday in the SEC teleconference, was very much more aware of where the public is at with this quarterback battle. And I thought struck kind of more of a middle of the road tone on the quarterbacks such that I came away thinking, well, let's see what they do against USF. Let's see how many snaps Anthony Richardson gets. And Blake, I wouldn't be surprised if Anthony Richardson gets a lot more snaps in anticipation of this Alabama game. I wouldn't either. And I think it's a USF is going to be outmatched. You know, mm-hmm. you, you th- that's the type of game where you expect those backups in. you expect those kind of reps working for the future for Anthony Richardson. But in the same time, yes, you're working towards the future because Anthony Richardson is going to be your guy at some point. You know, the coaches are obviously very excited about him. What if the Alabama game goes awry? You have to throw Anthony Richardson in that game, or maybe Emory Jones doesn't come out and have a good game. And then you kind of have to really take a look at your quarterback room and going forward, you know, is it time to make a switch? You know, I know obviously these are kind of things that can't be answered right now. It's a lot of things that still need to play out, but I think getting him those snaps, I, I think they're important, not only for the future, but if you do have to make a change this year, at least you've got someone that has continued to get a lot of those game reps to where you don't have to teach him on the fly. You know, you don't want to throw him in against a Tennessee or, you know, something like that to where it's like, here you go, man. You know, you haven't had enough snaps, but you know, we're counting on you. Like, here's, here's my thinking on the quarterback thing, and you can tell me if I'm off base here. I kind of feel like Florida's going to need both of these guys this year. Like, even if you end up shifting to Anthony Richardson as the starting quarterback, I still think you're going to need Emory Jones at some point. I think that this, the, the playing style of both of these guys is going to lead to potential, you know, bumps and bruises over the course of the season. You may have a guy that needs to come out for a series. Um, I mean, shoot, we saw it happen in 2019 with Kyle Trask where he takes that hit to the knee, has to come out before halftime, and then Emory Jones goes in. I think you're going to need both guys. Now, whether or not you need both guys in the sense of it's more of like kind of a true 50-50, I don't know. Or if Florida can kind of settle on one and then you use the other guys to change your pace. I'm not sure how that event ends up playing out eventually. But one thing I do think you you need to probably first and foremost be aware of if you're Dan Mullen is you don't want to ruin either of these guys' confidence. Is there a way, if you're a coach, if you were approaching this, that you would feel best about preserving confidence for both guys while potentially shifting things in case you do need to make a change? You know what I'm saying? Like, is there a way to handle this with Emery such that you gradually kind of shift things to Anthony Richardson, especially this week, Knowing, you know, if Emory Jones struggles against Alabama and you go down 14 points, you may just need a spark and may need to go to Richardson. I, you know, I think we both agree that Anthony Richardson needs to be ramped up quickly. I guess my question is, how do you do that without ruining Emory Jones? You know, and, and maybe maybe this all ends up being mute. Maybe, maybe you know, Emory Jones comes out and has a terrific game against USF and everything we saw in the first week was a fluke. I personally kind of don't think that's the way it's going to play out. And so I'm more worried about how do you... Uh, how do you kind of manage Emory Jones's expectations, um, all the hype that he had built up? How do you manage the outside noise? Is is there a right way to do that? I think I don't think there is, it, and I think it depends on the situation. If it's uh, one of those deals where you get down early against Alabama and you're pulling Emory Jones out, I think that's going to be some kind of hit to his confidence. So I think it depends on the situation, but I think going in like for the FAU game, 
Mullen had already given it up front and was already telling the team, you know, that, you know, Anthony Richardson's going to come in for the third series. I think if you have yeah. those scripted type of drives to where there's no secrets, you know, it's, it's all out in the open, you know, that you're going to play both of them. I think if you're up front with both of these guys saying that you're going to play two, Dan Mullen does seem like he's going to play two just from his, from his comments that he's made. I think it's smart to play too because I like I like you said, both guys bring different dynamics. Um, you know, obviously Emory, Emory Jones is that you know quick and slippery. Um, he can do different things. You know, from from a different variety of things. I think that Anthony Richardson is a little bit more powerful. You know, he's going to be able to do those. You know, jumping over guys, make those wild plays. And I mean, it's not like. Mullen hasn't played two quarterback systems in the past, you know, whether it's at Florida back in the day when they had Tebow and leak or just different, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's just, it's, it's happened over the course of his career. So I think if it, the best way to do it is to be up front with those guys, be scripted. And when you're going to get these kind of series or way, maybe you can't put a, you know, drive three, you're going to get this as you get deeper in the game. If you're up front, just saying, you know, Hey, you know, you're up, you know, or letting these guys know, Hey, we're going to try to get some burn on Anthony Richardson. I think that's the best way to do it. But if you do have a situation, you know, or scenario where it's, you know, Florida gets down early against an Alabama or, you know, at some point in the season and you pull Emory Jones for Anthony Richardson, I think that's where you're going to have a hit of confidence, which is it's, it's expected. You know, that this you, you kind of overthink things. You know, if you're going to be one of those quarterbacks that has a short memory, I think that's the way to get over it. But it's it really is hard to do that because you start to wonder, you know, man, am I the guy? Am I doing this? What am right. I doing wrong? So I think that that would be a hit for confidence. So you, it, it's tricky. You know, I mean, there's yeah. really not a right way to do it, but I think being up front is the best way. Well, and to be clear, I, I don't sense right now any lack of confidence from Emory Jones and talking to him both Saturday night and talking to him Monday, you know, in, in interview type sessions with the media, he seems very aware of the mistakes he made. And and I, and I kind of buy it, you know what I mean? A lot of times these guys are just saying things, but um, whether or not he can clean them up, I think is more my question mark. Like I have no, I have no doubt that Dan Mullen's telling the truth when he says, Emory Jones coming off the sideline knows exactly what he's doing wrong. I think my question is, and having a having had a few days now to sit on this game, kind of you know rewatch it, think about it. I'm almost more concerned about Emory Jones and where he's at than I was maybe after watching the game the first time. And the reason I say that, Blake, is because I thought the O line played really well. The more and more I go back and watch this game, I mean, you talk about 400 yards on the ground. Was it perfect? No. I mean, there was a couple blocks here and there where they could have done a little better getting to the second level. But when you talk about 400 yards piling up on the ground, theoretically, that should make the passing game easier. And then when you look at what Emory Jones had to work with in pass protection, he had a lot of time back there. So I'm a little bit, uh, you know, I'm kind of of the opinion generally in season openers that you don't pin a lot of the mistakes on the quarterback. There's usually a lot of things that go in behind the scenes, uh, whether it's a receiver running the wrong route, that kind of thing, miscommunication maybe. You get an incompletion, that kind of thing, a little bit of pressure that you're not expecting. I thought the O-line played well. Um, Receiver, you know, hard to have a real evaluation on there. But again, I think that's because the quarterback play was a little bit sloppy. Um, but Blake, I guess if you're looking at positives to take away, the O-line was pretty good. And we knew for a fact that that unit was going to have to get better if Florida was going to be able to beat the likes of Alabama, Georgia. Um, so I guess really when you get into week two, that's really where you start to say, hey, if Emory's not fixing this pretty quickly against a really inferior opponent and looking really good, that's where maybe we have to think about the change. That's where maybe we have issues. But Blake, uh, I'm spending probably more time talking about this QB thing than, than we need to. Um, real quick, one of my other takeaways from the game on, on top of that O-line thing, I, I think this is a game where against USF, you want to get some of those younger guys involved. I, I think the O-line, as well as it played last week, I feel relatively comfortable with that starting group. 
And again, we talked about it all offseason. The key for the O-line is trying to find the guys that have the higher upside. You know, I thought John DeLance did well last week. I thought Richard Garage did well last week. But, you know, if you're going to have somebody step into that starting five that maybe has a higher upside, it's probably going to come from the likes of Josh Braun. This is a game I'd like to see Josh Braun get 50% of the snaps against USF. I think they're going to be such an overmatched opponent that there's no reason you can't rotate in him in there every other series or, you know, play two out of every three series, that kind of thing, and get him more involved. Do you agree with that? I agree. I thought it, in the Vanderbilt game last year, where I believe that was his game where he made his first career start. I yep. thought he played really well as a freshman. I thought that that was a good chance for them to get his feet wet, and I think this is the perfect game to do that as well. All right, Blake, uh, one more thing before we, we hit halftime of the show. I wanted to talk about, you know, like I said, the things that Todd Grantham and Dan Mullen said during the week. Press coverage was obviously a big one. Uh, we were sitting in the stadium Saturday night watching live. I remember particularly on one third down conversion, it was a third and four. Florida ends up kind of bailing Kyrie Elam out. They have a linebacker from the opposite side of the field trying to rotate into the flats. Didn't get there in time. That's the kind of thing that a lot of fans saw a lot last year that really infuriated them and kind of soured them on Todd Grantham. And so a lot of the question marks from fans coming out of that opener was we heard all offseason about how Florida was going to play press coverage. So Todd Grantham was asked about that this week. I asked him, uh, I know another guy asked him, where's the press coverage? Well, for one, Florida did do it more. And we talked about that a little bit, I think, on the podcast previously. The problem was, you know, early on, at least, there were still some miscues. Well, Todd Grantham said, hey, you know, that's a season opener. That's what happens. You know, we're, we're going to a new scheme. And he, he pointed out that a lot of those miscues that they had early in the first quarter on those third down plays where they were uh, not necessarily playing press at the line, but were kind of holding that first down marker, they just didn't jump on quick enough. They didn't break on the route quickly enough. I know Trey Dean, there was one that was in front of him, actually two that were in front of him that he just didn't quite close down quickly enough. And he thought when they coached them up on that in terms of the press coverage, how they wanted to play it, they really fixed those things in the third quarter. Blake, going back and watching the film, I agreed with him. I thought that they really did fix those things. And so, again, I come away looking at it. You held you held FAU to a shutout until the final two drives of the game. I, I came away a lot more positive on this defense, I think, than, than maybe on live watch. And I'm curious to see if Florida can now, going into game two, having figured those things out in game one, can they fix that early on? Can we go through and really play a, a pretty complete game if you're you know, Florida's defense? Um, I'm curious on your thoughts on that. Do you buy the press coverage thing? Are you still holding out a little bit to see, or are you kind of waiting? I buy it, and I think that you know it was expected that there's going to be those growing pains early in the season whenever you have so many different guys. Um, I would like to see a little bit more press coverage in certain situations. I understand that it's a work in progress, and they're implementing new things, and it's not going to be perfect coming out of game one, which nothing is perfect coming out of game one, but I would definitely buy it. Um, I, I think that... Um, there are different situations, you know, you never, never want to have a linebacker out there, you know, trying to cover those kind of guys, those speedy, you know, type of guys. Um, but I think that there, now that you have game one, you can go back and look at the film and you can continue to break things down because now you've gone against a live opponent. You know what to do. You've seen things in game situations and these guys finally getting, you know, the Avery Helms, you know, the Elijah blades who came in late for camp, you know, Jadarius Perkins, another guy who came in later, um, you know, just after spring football, these guys are going to learn on the fly. And I think that that's the chance for them to do that. You know, getting those game experiences, you know, it's good that that Florida, you know, it's, it's good that this isn't, you know, the 2020 season where Florida's coming out of the gate playing an Ole Miss, you know, it's good that they had these kind of tune up type of games. Um, so, you know, that's definitely a silver lining for them there. All right, Blake, final question for you here before we take a break. 
Guys in the secondary, we saw about the snap breakdown last week. Avery Helm kind of was, I thought, the number one guy across from Kyrie Elam, but we saw a bunch of guys get involved. Who do you want to see play a few more snaps in the secondary this week, and who would you like to see play a, f- a few less? Uh, I definitely think Avery Helm. I think you have the higher upside with just the athleticism that he brings. Um, I thought that he kind of got caught you know, to where he had to break on some balls. If, if Nikosi Perry would have had, you know, wouldn't have overthrown some throws, he could have gotten burnt quite a few times. Um, I think past him, um, I'd like to see what Elijah Blades can do. I'd like to see just because you've got a guy that's coming in with that SEC experience. You know, he had a penalty this past weekend. Um, I'd like to see more of him, I think. But if I had to pick one guy, I, it's Jason Marshall. I think that this is the perfect type of game, you know, where you've got an inferior opponent. We've got a young guy that got his feet wet last week. So I, I would think that Avery Helm, I, I really like Avery Helm. I think he's going to be the guy that I would pick to be the one that gets the majority of those snaps opposite of Kyer Elam. Um, but if I had to pick someone that I would want to see get more snaps, it's Jason Marshall. Yeah, I think Marshall is the number one guy that I, I came away from thinking I'd like to see him play a little bit more than Avery Helm. Just just give him, you know, basically just flip the roles from last week, let him get those those first couple series and then and then switch the two. I, I thought he just showed, you know, in limited snaps. And, and I know that he was around the touchdown pass late in the game, um, kind of in that little zone coverage. But uh, I, I thought he just showed better instincts to me. Um, Avery Helm looked, I thought, a little bit nervous. Uh, but Blake, the other guy that I thought I'd like to see more of is Jadarius Perkins, you know, the transfer out of Missouri. I thought he had a much better game in that nickelback slot than Trevez Johnson. And and Trevez is a guy that obviously Florida's coaching staff is very high on, you know, all the way back into the recruiting process when they really got on him before he kind of blew up in the rankings. Um, I just haven't really seen it out of Trevez yet. You know, I, I, that's a tough position to learn, obviously, and he's still a second year guy. So way too early to give up on him. But I thought Jadarius Perkins did a lot of really positive things, especially near the line of scrimmage against the run, which I think is an underrated part of that position. You know, it, it seems like we focused a lot on coverage, but Jadarius Perkins is another guy I want to see get a little bit more reps. Let's take a quick Blake break. Blake, I'm always going to screw that up literally every <laughs> time. It's, it's a huge tongue twister. Uh, but we'll take a quick break and then coming back, we'll talk a little bit about USF. Again, not going to be a lengthy breakdown just because they lost their opener 45-0. Should be a pretty easy game for Florida. But right after this commercial break, we'll be back and we'll break it down. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, um, you know, I, I don't know how much we can really talk about USF. Obviously, had a rough season opener. Jeff Scott has had a hell of a time since he took over there. Kind of been a disaster of a program the last couple of years. Uh, we were talking about a little bit before the show. Uh, USF had quarterback change in week one. You know, I, I think uh, going into this week, they've said that they may end up settling on uh, the guy that replaced their starter, Tommy McLean, came in for Cade Fortin last week. So, you know, I, if if it's me and I'm Florida going into this game, I, I make a real simple goal if I'm David Turner and I'm Ty Grantham. I want to see a third QB in this game. You tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I would bring out the pressure for sure. I would dial it in. I would definitely make it tough for those guys for sure. I. I don't think it's a shocker to see, you know, maybe them throw in another guy if they have continued to have problems because it definitely seems like their offense is having some problems. I just think, you know, when you go against teams like this where you obviously, you know, you have a pretty significant mismatch, these are the kind of games, I think, particularly defensively, where you can really build some confidence. You know, Florida always talks about one shutout. I think that's a, that's a pretty good goal for this week. I mean, if NC State can shut them out, I don't see why Florida can't. Uh, but I go back to, you know, Florida wants to be fast, physical, and aggressive on defense, right? Chase a couple quarterbacks out of the game, man. I remember, um, and and people will get on me about, you know, loving my corn dogs over this. But uh, I remember LSU back in their national title season, I think it was 07, not the 2019 one. I want to say their first three games of the season, they chased the starting quarterback out uh, just by hitting them so hard. And that defense ended up developing a kind of a nasty personality around that. Like we saw what Florida's edge rushers did last week. I mean, Zach Carter, three sacks. And to be frank, I thought a couple other guys were really impressive. Chris Bogle. Um, we talked about the defensive tackles. You know, I wasn't quite as impressed with Daquan Newkirk. But Antonio Valentino, really, really impressive. With Bama coming up in week three, Blake, I almost look at this as in the front seven. This is Florida's final chance to get a real handle on who's their four or five guys that need to be out there for... 60 70 percent of the snaps against Alabama no I agree and when you have so many different guys that do different things and you rotated so many different guys in that first game rotate them in see what packages work what doesn't work um, because you're going to have to have an idea you can't just sit there and rotate guys on the fly against Alabama you have to have a you have to have a game plan I agree and not that not that Florida won't I think they'll sure no and I'm not saying they're not going to rotate because it depends on certain things but you know what works and what doesn't I guess is more so what I was saying Right, and I I don't think you know going into Alabama, it's not a situation where you want to be playing a Desmond Watson for ten snaps in that game, or a you know a, you know a Jalen Humphreys, or you know, even even to some extent a Jalen Lee, guys that haven't played a whole lot. I, I'm thinking against the Alabama man, you really settle in on okay, you know, should Javon Dexter be starting over DeQuan Newkirk? Like those kind of decisions, I want to know. You know, I, I want to know who's getting the majority of the snaps against Alabama, and I think. You know, looking at this USF team, you know, both of these quarterbacks can run it a little bit, probably not huge dual threat guys, but can escape on you. So who are the guys that are collapsing the pocket, keeping their pass rush lanes? You know, that was one of the things I thought with Daquan Newkirk. I came away a little bit suspect in that first game, thought he freelanced a little bit. And I think, you know, if you're going to beat Alabama, you really are going to have to collapse the pocket in a, in a controlled fashion on Bryce Young and get to him quickly. Um like, I guess looking at some of the other, you know, things that USF brings to the table, um, not like, again, not a lot stood out to me. Um, I think on their offense, you know, receivers, they have four of their five, four of their top five pass catchers back from a year ago, including their tight end. Uh, leading wide receiver Bryce Miller is back. 
Xavier Weaver caught a couple deep balls in the season opener, so he's the guy you probably circle, you know, down the field worrying about. Um, but overall, I mean, this is a game that Florida should dominate. You know, on the other side, NC State rushed for 293 yards last week against USF. Florida, you know, led the country. They were pretty good at that last week. They were pretty good at that. I mean, so this is the kind of game where Florida should be able to work on whatever they want to work on. You know, maybe they don't just opt to stick it on the ground and rush for 400 yards like they did last week. Maybe they take this opportunity to really work on the passing game. Are you, are you expecting that from Florida's offense if you're Dan Mullen? Just from kind of looking at Coach Mullen's track record to where he likes to work on things in certain games, you know, when you have those inferior type opponents, I, I would agree. I think that that happens. I think whenever you have an opponent like that, where you can try out and see certain things that work. I think this is a chance to build Emory Jones's confidence. You know, I, I don't think that his confidence was shaken against FAU, but I do think that, you know, there does get some noise in the system. And I think that Mullen is, he's so passionate about building up guys' confidence, making sure that, you know, they're on the same page and all these kind of things that he knows that goes into a mental part of the quarterback. So I think that this is a chance for him. And I do think that they'll try to put a little bit more effort into trying to, um, I, I guess, overcompensate for the passing game. I remember the UT Martin game um, two years yeah. ago, I believe, where they just, you know, you obviously you could have thrown it all over him. You know, you could have gone in there and then really, you know, press, uh, you know, the, the passing game, but they made it a point to run the ball when they struggled at that. So I think that that's where I've seen that Mullen just from the you know body of work. I think that he will do that. You know, and, and that's one thing I, I really love about Dan Mullen. And I used to hate, hate, hate during the Will Muschamp years, watching them continually knowing, you know, they'll go through games like Bowling Green or, or what have you early in the season where they just run the ball. You know, they win 27-13 because they know they can win the game that way. But then you're looking at it and you're knowing they're not working on the passing game. They need live game reps, you know, before they get to the real opponents. And then they get there and sure enough, they wouldn't really know how to pass the ball. You know, things wouldn't be in sync. I love that Dan Mullen uses these early games as kind of like a live scrimmage, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I think looking back at last week, again, I go back to, you know, there were a lot of complaints about the defense. But if you look at it, until those final two drives of the game, Florida's defense gave up 210 yards, zero points. That's a good outing. Like, again, I know that they missed some third downs here and there. I know that there were some individual instances where they probably didn't press quite as close as they should have on third down. Gave up but a that's little football. bit too much cushion. You know, that's football. It's football. You're going to give up some plays. I, I go back to when you look at those final two defensive drives for Florida <clears> – <throat> And, and Ty Grantham even said it. You look at it, they're changing personnel all over the place. They're moving veterans to different spots to try to see what they can do. And they're playing younger guys to see what they've got. I think you got to do the same on offense this week. And I think this is a really, really great chance, more than anything, to build confidence. And I think there's a fine balance between working on things you may not be good at and cultivating confidence. And I would be surprised if we don't see some of the, the very base things that Florida intends to do against Alabama repped a lot in this game. Um, just to kind of try to build that level of competency. Um, but Blake, I guess, you know, enough about USF, man. This isn't going to be a very close game. Do you have a score prediction for us, or, or are you just expecting a big win? I'm expecting a big win. I would think something like a, you know, 40-something to 7-0, something like that. I mean, I think it's possible to shut them out. But I think if you're going to work in a lot of those younger guys, you know, it's if USF keeps in their starters and Florida's out here playing freshmen, all those things, you know, th there could be a late score or something. But I expect a big win. I also wanted to add, too, red, white, and blue lids, big fan. Yeah, yeah. The 20th anniversary of 9-11, Florida's breaking out uh, white helmets with the Gator script, and the G has kind of like the, uh, the blue and white stars. And then it's – it's. I don't think it's red. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's – It, it's, it, it looks orange red. Orange shade on the rest of it, kind of like a flag. It, it, they're sick. 
you haven't seen them yet, be sure to check out Swamp247.com. Blake posted some pictures of them up there. Uh, and, you know, we've got that full breakdown. But, yeah, Blake, uh, I'm expecting a big win this week. I don't, I don't think anything less. I, I don't know that it's, you know, panic mode if it's not. Again, I think this is going to be a game where Florida is specifically trying to work on some things. Um, but the bottom line is I want to see Emory Jones play a lot better. And if not, I, I need Florida to be in a place where they're ready to play Anthony Richardson. I just think you're going to – Bama is going to put you to a decision at some point in that game whether or not to make the change, right? And Dan Mullen has to feel good enough about Emory Jones if he decides not to make that change that he can reasonably be confident that Emory can get them back into it. I think that starts this week. It starts with building confidence, starts with fixing a lot of those mistakes that Emory saw in his first start, which he admitted he was nervous in. So we'll get a chance to see that this week. I think it'll be a cool atmosphere down in Tampa for a lot of the fans. Uh, You know, I love that Florida's playing this game. Uh, kind of a, a little bit of shade to UCF in a little bit, scheduling that two-for-one, and then coming back to UCF down the road and scheduling a two-for-one with them. But, uh, Blake, that'll do it for this episode of the podcast, unless you got anything else. Next week, we will be back talking Alabama, and uh, it will be plenty to talk about, to say the least. Anything That's else? For me. That's it for me. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today's episode of the podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. We'll see you back on Sunday with a uh, reaction version of our take on the game. See you then. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.